Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 8th of January 2023, Tim Davis speaking in the series, Outsiders Who Come to God, The Centurion and His Servant. Well, good morning and happy new year to everyone uh, who's back in church for the first time this year. Um, how are you feeling about this uh, new sermon series? So let's get Nathan popping up on the screen in a moment. That's the one. Um, eight topics all on outsiders coming to God. Are you feeling like an outsider? Are you feeling like an insider? Are you wondering what an outsider or an insider is and whether you're either or neither? Are you feeling like an outsider who's suddenly going to be the focus of all the insiders trying to stop you being an outsider and make you an insider? Are you an insider who's worried that actually I'm about to tell you that you are in fact an outsider and you've been getting it all wrong? Or are you perhaps one of four people, of whom I am one, who is thinking to yourself, how on earth are we meant to come up with eight different ways of talking about outsiders coming to God uh, and not basically say the exact same thing week after week? Uh, Well, that last challenge will hopefully keep you coming back week after week to see just how we do manage that. Um, But I think as we kick off this series, um, looking what we mean by outsiders, and I guess on reflection also, what we mean by insiders, that's probably a good place to start. So in Jesus' day, uh, the Jewish people firmly believed that they were God's chosen ones, and with good reason. Their whole history had been defined by the covenants made between them and God. And that if they obeyed his commands and remained faithful to him, God would remain faithful to them. And he had promised to make them a great nation out of whom the promised Messiah would come. So to the Jewish people, to, to love God meant to obey the law. Not just the Ten Commandments given to Moses, but all the laws and instructions that have been given to the people over the course of their history. These laws, these practices and customs were what distinguished the Jewish people from those around them. And what marked them out as Jews and therefore, in their opinion, as chosen people set apart by God. And so, by comparison, anyone not a Jew was, by default, automatically an outsider. But even those within the Jewish faith could, at times, find themselves considered an outsider through circumstance. And the passage we're looking at today is about Jesus and the centurion's servant. But I wanted to include those verses either side of the passage, which we had read to us earlier, because it perfectly shows Jesus' approach to mission and one which we should always seek to emulate ourselves. This whole series is not just looking about outsiders coming to God, but how we reflect on our missional response to them. In Jesus' mission, everyone was to be included. No one was to be excluded. Everyone was reached out to, and every perceived outsider made to feel welcomed as an insider in the family of God. In the first part of the reading, 
the leprous outcast, someone who effectively is banished from human contact, is treated with compassion and rewarded for his faith. Now, Jesus not only risked contagion himself by healing this leper, but just being vaguely in contact with someone like that would have made him, would have deemed him to be richly unclean. Jesus was seen by many people as a rabbi and as a great prophet by many others. And so it would have been expected that someone of that status would make a big show of getting themselves richly cleansed and being able to serve God again. But Jesus doesn't do that. And it's the same with Peter's mother-in-law later on in the passage and all the other people who came to be healed. Just being in contact with such an unwell person was enough to potentially make you ritually unclean and meant you needed to get cleansed before continuing to serve God. And yet that's not what we see Jesus' mission is about. So what is so interesting about the centurion's servant? Is it simply a case of we look at Jesus healing yet another lowly member of society, of being potentially made richly unclean by associating with them? Well, no, because you know, Jesus doesn't actually go anywhere near the centurion's servant, this paralyzed person. It's all about Jesus and his interaction with the centurion. I think to really understand what is so significant about this encounter, we need to look at who this centurion was. He would have been a commanding officer in the Roman army, in charge of up to 100 men, and a representative of this hated occupying force in the land. Now, it's more than likely that both the centurion and his servant were Gentiles, i.e. non-Jews. And so it's one thing, I guess, for Jesus to heal the outcasts of his own people, but your average Jewish person is not really remotely concerned with the health and well-being of a soldier who is essentially an unwelcomed invader in their homeland and much less their servant. But what does this man of status, this man of authority do? You know, the centurion could legally have compelled Jesus to come to his house. He could have had Jesus killed, potentially, if he refused to do what he asked. He could have chosen to exact a brutal revenge on Jesus and his followers if his servant was not restored to health. But instead, the centurion does something extraordinary. And unexpected. Having asked Jesus to help him, he then humbles himself before Jesus and says this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. What an incredible scene. Here is this man of status and authority in front of all the people there are. And he says something unbelievable. Now, most of you expect me to talk about, I don't deserve it, or you can hear with a word. But for me, the man who says that all Jesus needs to do is say a word, himself utters a single word that I think would have stunned those around him. He says, Lord. A commanding officer in the Roman army calls Jesus Lord. 
that could potentially be enough to get him executed. Now, as far as the Roman centurion is concerned, the only law that exists in his life is the emperor, Caesar Augustus. To call someone else, you know, never mind the fact they're a Jewish citizen, Lord, could potentially be viewed as an act of treason and punishable by death. But the centurion isn't concerned by that. He calls Jesus Lord. And then goes even further by saying, I don't deserve to have you concern yourself with my problems. But I believe you are who people are saying you are. And so I believe that with just a word, you have the power and the authority to heal. It's an incredible public act of acknowledgement of confession, of worship. And even Jesus is stunned. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Ooh. If you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, hearing those words is going to sting a bit. You know, I was thinking, I'm a God-fearing Jew. I, I obey the law meticulously. And you're telling me that this word I'm not even going to use to describe him is more faithful and deserving of God's salvation than I am? Not only does Jesus make that point, highlighting the centurion's remarkable display of faith, but he goes on to say, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At this point, the crowd is probably enraged. Jesus not only claiming that this foreign officer of the hated occupying Roman forces has greater faith than anyone in Israel, but also that many will come from the ends of the earth to partake in this heavenly banquet in the kingdom of God, of all of God's redeemed people, while many Israelites, who assume that you know, their invitation, that this place at the banquet was a given, will in fact find themselves excluded. He's turning the beliefs and the expectations of the crowd on their head. And I find it really interesting that Jesus is quoting from Psalm 107 there, in that first line, he says, I say to you, many will come from the east and the west. And we also have part of that sermon, read, that psalm read to us earlier on. Now, Psalm 107 begins what's commonly thought of as like the fifth block of psalms, the fifth and final block of psalms in the book of Psalms. And from here on, these collection of psalms speak of a renewed hope in God's covenantal promises to his people and to King David. And Psalm 107 speaks of salvation for those who were suffering. The redeemed will be gathered from every corner of the globe and God will bring an end to their suffering. The faithful, calling out to God in their times of difficulty and trial and tribulation, call out to God in assurance that he will rescue them as promised. There is hope for all the lost that they will find salvation in God. It doesn't matter where you are, 
what situation you find yourself in. God offers salvation to all. You might be the lowliest person thinking you're undeserving of such a rich reward, but that's not the case. At the heart of that psalm is this idea that God will enact this complete reversal of the order of things. For too long, the wicked had seemingly prospered while the godly suffered. But God was going to make all of that change. And we see the fulfillment of this promise in Jesus' ministry. A complete reversal of what the Jews thought was the case. Surely they were the special ones, the insiders. They were automatically God's chosen people. Nah, says Jesus, all are welcomed. Those who were once thought of as outsiders are in fact the guests at my heavenly banquet. They are welcomed into the family of God because they show true faith and belief. Because salvation is not an hereditary birthright. It's earned through faith in God. True faith. It's not about maintaining the highest standards possible in accordance with the old laws. It's about acknowledging that you actually don't deserve God's forgiveness or grace. That you have no automatic right to it. That you can't get it through anything you yourself have done or might do. But by simply acknowledging and saying thank you to God for sending his son to die for you. To forgive your sins and to pay the penalty that was due. There are no outsiders to God, just those who reject his offer of salvation. And so no one is to be excluded from our own mission activity. It was the faith of the centurion that mattered, not his status nor his background. Now you might expect a series like this to be all about Jesus reaching out to those on the margins of society, the, the poor, the lame, the fatherless, the widowed, all those people who were struggling in life. Surely this is who we're focusing on when we think about outsiders coming to God. And yet Jesus shows equal compassion to the poor, to the outcasts, to the wealthy, and to the privileged. When you think of generic terms like the wealthy, those with high social or political status, do you see them just as much as outsiders, as those at maybe the bottom or the outskirts of society? Think back to Jesus' birth and who was present there. Jesus was born for the likes of the shepherds, the poor, the lonely, the rejected and forgotten of society. Jesus was born too for the rich and the wise who worshipped him at his birth. He was born for every individual person with their individual circumstances and experiences and personalities and traits. What's poignant about the character of the centurion is that his equivalent in our society I think is probably likely to be the type of person we don't just find it hard to love but to even perhaps consider Jesus calls us to include in our mission activity. Someone who's poor, someone who's disabled. Sure, we can tell them that God loves them. 
We can invite them to church with the promise of fellowship, of a warm and friendly welcome. They might say, yeah, brilliant, come on to Great Violin, come along to some of the other activities we do each week. And this may sound a bit uncomfortable, but it can be all too easy to pity people like that. And so perhaps in some way, it could actually feel easier to feel like we're responding to God's call by simply seeing just these people as the outsiders to be reached out to, to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But what about the people you don't feel sorry for? The people your heart doesn't break for? The people who, frankly, you'd rather not have anything to do with, let alone consider as a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. The arrogant, patronizing politician, the despicable, misogynistic social media star, the greedy, megalomaniac owner of a multinational company, thinking he can buy anything he wants and do whatever he wants with it. And I'm not going to put any suggested pictures of some people there, but I'm sure you can probably imagine some people in recent news who that might apply to. They too should be seen as potential outsiders, just as in need of God's love as anyone else. And someone's got to be the one to share it with them. Do the opportunities present themselves to you to do something like that? We don't have really an equivalent situation as Jesus did with the Roman centurion. But I wanted to look at something which could be very contemporary. Now imagine you're a Ukrainian citizen in the city of Mariupol who spent nearly a year under Russian occupation. You've seen your neighbours, your friends, your family raped, tortured, killed. And then God tells you to go to one of those soldiers, one of the commanding soldiers, and say, I love you, brother. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about true love. Would you be willing? Could you imagine someone in that situation even wanting to countenance hearing this hated enemy actually respond positively to God's invitation of salvation? Outsiders come to God. But as we hear through the course of this series about the unique situations of many different people regarded as outsiders who came to God, perhaps take a moment each Sunday to briefly change that sermon title slightly in your head. Outsiders come to God. God came to outsiders. <laughs>